Welcome everybody to the Can Mayonnaise Kill a Jedi podcast. I am your co-host, Hannah. And I am your main host, the Artificial Dragon. Alright, and a kind of a little bit of a, I guess you could say, update to the channel. As you can see from the splash screen, it's been changed a little bit. And as you can tell, we no longer have a Mon Calamari with the uh, out of order sign plastered on his face. <laughs> Instead, we have a little memorial with his uh, face, his derpy little face, as well as the uh, his drawing of a sun crusher right next to it. Just insert kid in the background. I'm not dead! <laughs> I'm not dead! <laughs> but yeah, um, just a little update since Kit is basically retired from the channel. He might pop in every once in a while, but for the, for all intents and purposes, he's retired. I mean, and this is our nice little uh, uh, departure, uh, sort of tribute. There we go. Yeah, a tribute. Yeah. So anyway, um, so for this month, <laughs> I have we do like these updates like two weeks after they're posted on Patreon. But for this month, we have uh, a good old Patreon art piece of Hannah's new fan favorite character, XR Coon. Yep. <laughs> He's just shirtless. Flexing his biceps on his throne on Yavin 4, inviting you to join the dark side. I volunteer to <laughs> And I'm sure we got plenty of sims that are more than willing to join his side. The dark side specifically, not just for the cookies, but for those nice little yoked biceps. <laughs> anyway, um... I mean, those abs, you could skate on them. You could, <laughs> you could, um... You can make diamonds from those biceps. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we're going to try a new little formula. Like our current schedules for uh, Can Man Ice Kill Jedi podcast is an episode like once or twice a month. We're kind of uh, gonna, I'm going to try a new thing where it's um, every Thursday somewhere around there, at least for recording dates, and then we post them on Tuesday somewhere around there it kind of depends on uh how how um fast I edit these things out and when we get the uh, thumbnail art but we're going to try and be more frequent um perhaps I've more on try we'll try but uh yeah um both me and Hannah still have real life to go through, but we'll try and be more frequent with <laughs> our uh, <laughs> with our uh, podcast episodes. Just something that um, that I wanted to try since uh, it's not going to be exactly conflicting with our D and D sessions and all that fun stuff. But anyway, um, on top of that, Merry Christmas, everybody! Happy holidays or whatever holidays you love celebrating. Yeah. Happy holidays, everybody! Yeah, just in case this uh, podcast episode gets released way, way, way later than I suspect it would be. Um, but in any case, happy holidays, and I hope you're having a wonderful time with friends and family this lovely month of the year. Anyway, Hannah, I'm sure you know what today's episode is going to be about. <laughs> yep, we're going to be talking about the fan service race. Yes. The Twi'leks. Specifically, yes, the Twi'leks. The nice little um, smooth female aliens. Oh, I say female. There's males too, but what they're like <laughs> the main focus is the females of the race because uh, they are so smooth and smooth brain. That's why I say one. fan service. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the Twi'leks are probably one of the most popular, if not most recognizable, humanoid races in all of sci-fi or just science fiction in general. I would say all of Star Wars. Like, I would say, but I mean, like, if even if you're not overly familiar with Star Wars, there's probably somebody out there who knows about the Twi'leks or just that weird alien race with the uh, the uh, head, tails. head tails or whatever they are. Kind of like with uh, the Vulcans, with Spock, or uh, the Asari from Mass Effect. I know you don't know anything about Mass Effect, but... The Asari are basically what the Twi'leks are in Star Wars. Okay. But they're not in bondage. They're actually the dominant race in the galaxy. Well, either way, the Twi'leks may be in bondage, but they are one of the most prominent races in the Star Wars galaxy. Yeah. They have so many people. Oh, yeah. Probably second only to Their population human. probably rivals humans. Yeah, probably, because they are everywhere like literally everywhere like at a random spaceport somewhere in politics you'll a see them smuggler. all over cantinas yeah and you know they're prominently known as slave girls and servants all that fun stuff because fan service big boba as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um so let's get down to what the twi'leks are as a race the Twi'leks are from the planet of Ryloth, which is in the Outer Rim Territory, so it's basically in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, even more so than Tatooine, basically. Quote-unquote, backwater planet. Yep. Um, Ryloth is a harsh and rocky world that is tidally, that is a tidally locked planet. Do you know what that means, Anna? No, I don't. So basically, a tidally locked planet is it never rotates. I mean, it rotates around the sun, but the planet itself doesn't rotate. It doesn't rotate. Ro oh, okay. So one side is always facing the sun, while the other doesn't. Okay. So yeah. Um, kind of pretty shitty right off the bat. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, where... Okay, so one side, which is always facing the sun, is... Are, is obviously called the Brightlands, and the side that doesn't face the sun is called the Nightlands. No. And, and as you can imagine, with the surface that always faces the sun, um, it is insanely hot. Like, it's barely habitable. I don't think even the Twi'leks would wander over there. I think mostly the Brightlands are basically an area that Twi'leks send outcasts to to basically die in the heat. So the Brightlands are basically Tatooine on basically, half of the planet. Tatooine on crack. Okay. <laughs> Nobody can live. I mean, there's a couple of creatures that can live in the Brightlands, but the Twi'leks obviously can't. Yeah. And the Nightlands are covered in darkness. I mean, you could live in the Nightlands, but it's like living in the caves for over a millennia. I mean... Dathomirian witches do it. That is true. Yes, very true. Um, Ryloth is orbited by five moons, by the way. Okay. And uh, let's see. Um, and with those five moons, it leads to subtle tidal effects on the planet's liquid core and underground springs. Oh, nice. Yeah. So at least it has some good amount of water underneath its surface. Um, while a majority of Ryloth's surface is deserts, there's... 
It's a planet of extremes. Like, for example, it has mountain ranges with mist-covered peaks, shadowy valleys, along with snowy wastes joined by just a temperate band of... Okay, so, like, the equator that borders the nightlands of the brightlands, mm-hmm. that's the very small area that's habitable for the Twi'leks. Okay. So, yeah, you... Like, if you really think about it, 95% of Ryloth is just uninhabitable for the Twi'leks. Funny that, that, that that's the case when they're the most populous race in the galaxy. That is, yeah, very ironic. And it's not shown in canon, probably because they don't want to show just how desolate this planet is, but semantics, I suppose. I mean, we only um, see a bit of Ryloth in the Ryloth arc. Yeah, that is true. Um... But a majority of a Twi'lek population resides in, like, caves and everything. Because that's the place where they're most safe and where they have the most food and everything. Yep, caves, plateaus. Yep. Kind of like, uh, the... The, uh... Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> the Mo- Montezuma's Well and, you know, yeah. the, the houses built into the mountain. Yeah, exactly like that, yeah. And, like, uh, as... As I'm, it's pretty obvious. Ryloth is an unforgiving world, with many of its seasons and weathers being unpredictable, with high winds of over 310 miles per hour being enough to sculpt the landscape. Jesus. Most infamously, Ryloth has a phenomenon called heat storms, which commonly happens on Ryloth's brightlands, which consists of furious cyclonic winds that reach temperatures of over 500 degrees. Fuck that. Yeah, basically, uh, just for a comparison, Death Valley's highest recorded temperature is 134 degrees. And that could kill a person. Yep. A heat storm could basically disintegrate anybody. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. It just keeps going up and up and up. No wonder the Twi'leks are so widespread. Get the fuck off Ryloth as soon as you can. Yeah, fuck that shit. I might as well go to Coruscant and be a slave. Fuck that. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, um, let's see. Uh, on the borders of both lands, uh, I already said it's a habitat zone. It's called the Twilight Realm. Um, it has caverns that are that give the native Twi'lek a underground city, and they kind of blockade the entrances with uh, you know, steel doors to ensure that the local fauna don't come in and murder all yeah. of them and all that. Um, because. There are a lot of life forms on Ryloth that could easily kill a Twi'lek. I'm sure. Yeah. Like there's the, uh, where was it? But lilacs, they're basically a giant insectoid species with a thick carapace, spiked pincers and tentacles, which are one of the few animals that could actually survive in the Brightlands. Oh, why not? Yeah. Like, uh... There's actually this novel called, I believe, The Dark Lords of the Sith, where both Palpatine and Darth Vader decided to give Ryloth a visit. This is a canon novel, by the way. Okay. Um, long story short, they get shot down, and the Chamsundula was counting on the Lilacs to kill them off, because there are so many of them. They're basically a hive mind uh, mm-hmm. race. But Yet another insectoid hive mind race. Yeah. Um, funny thing is, Palpatine and Darth Vader... Along with two royal guards go into the uh, the uh, hive chamber of the lilacs and they actually fight the queen. But there's like swarms upon swarms of lilacs and even Darth Vader is having an extremely hard time trying to fight them off. 
Except for Palpatine. Of course, because it's Palpatine. Because he's just... Like, Darth Vader's just fighting for his fucking life. Meanwhile, his master's just... Just like a dance, just cleaving bugs apart and just laughing his ass off. Of course, it's Palpatine. Yeah, I mean, he rarely he gets away from his throne. This shit. <laughs> he's he's having a blast. Even though he hardly ever moves, anytime he does get action, he revels in it. Oh yeah, he revels in it so much. Um, I really need to get around to reading that book. I I heard it's pretty good. But anyway, um, though, despite the Viz being a shitty desert world in the middle of the Outer Rim. There are some positive aspects of Ryloth. There's there's this beautiful site on Ryloth called the Floating Rock Gardens, which is a well-known tourist attraction. Probably the only reason why any off-roaders would come to Ryloth. Most likely. Think of... Aside from uh, flavors. Yeah. Um, think of... Uh, there's no pictures of this, but imagine like the uh, Floating Rocks from Avatar. Uh-huh. That's basically what those are. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, like, the winds are so powerful, it allows the rocks to gently float through the air. And over the years, tourists just kind of add rocks to it. That sounds really cool. It does sound really cool. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much the only reason why anybody would want to go to Ryloth. Well, except for the Twi'leks, of course. Well, I mean, aside from the slavers. Yeah. Um, let's see. And then... Ryloth has several capitals. One of them is Kaloon, and the more famous one is Lesu, which is basically that uh, city in the middle of a spire. I'm not sure if you've seen gotten to that certain part of the Clone Wars. I've not. Okay, not yet. Um, but this, the there is a artifact mentioned in Vet's little side missions of Swator. she and her old uh, gang are trying to find. A Twi'lek artifact called the Star of Kala'oon. Hmm. I, I don't think there is a proper description of it, but, you know, it has the name of one of the capitals. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. I, I'm not aware of that artifact, but always good to know. Yep. Um, and then, let's see. I imagine, like, Kala'oon and Lesu are uh, two capitals. One of them, I imagine one of them is, like, the ancient capital, like Kyoto in Japan, and the other is, like, modern capital, like Tokyo and all that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, Kowloon is a city found within the Lonely Five Mountain Range and is a and is basically home to a large ass spaceport where a majority of Twi'lek Comrades is based on. Like, uh, if there's like any trade, import, export of any kind, that's mostly where all that is happening is that that capital. And then Lesu is a large city built within a massive rock spire in the middle of a. Rocky Mesa, and the only way you could get onto it is with a yeah, laser bridge. Oh, okay. I assume there is like hidden underground tunnels because that's what Twi'leks do, but that's the only way you could get to uh, Lesu. Okay. And then uh, Lesu is the home of a basically the, the uh, only known government on Ryloth, the Twi'lek Clan Council, which basically is headed by. Uh, I will go more into their government later, but it has like five major head of five major clans ruling over it and dictating what they do with Twi'leks and, you know, politics and all that stuff. Okay. But anyway, um... And there are a lot of offshoots of that, you know, like, uh, 
in Swator in the Jedi story, mm-hmm. either Jedi Knight or Consular, there is on Tython a village of Twi'leks who is run by a matriarch. Oh yeah, yep, I remember yep. that Caligori village. Yep, and then uh, <laughs> described a little bit of Ryloth and how shitty it is. Let me talk about the Twi'leks themselves. They come in a very big rainbow of colors. Oh yes, they do. Um, so the Twi'lek are a race of sentient, hairless humanoid mammals that come in, as I, as you mentioned before, a variety of colors, ranging from white, orange, yellow, green, lavender, pink, blue, tan, purple, black, gray, and red. While having a varied height from the smallest being uh, five foot three to seven foot nine. Yeah, five foot three being a child. Yep. Um, they have humanoid-like ears, which is usually found on males, but for females, yeah, the males have the humanoid ears, while the females have the cone ears to their side for some reason. It's never explained. Yeah, just whatever. Both But it's a good way to tell the difference between a male and a female. That is true, yes. Um, both female and male Twi'leks have little to no body hair, with the exception of, like, eyelashes, which is an evolutionary trait of keeping out sand out of their eyes. Yeah. Um, but there are some Twi'lek that exhibit, like, beard, chest hair, and armpit hair for some reason. Hmm. So they have some hair, just not on their heads. Yeah, just, some say it's basically a mutation, like, those are the very rare Twi'lek that actually have hair for some reason. Like, in the same way that, uh, what ethnic group rarely gets, like, a beard or anything? I don't know. Just, okay. Basically, it's like... It, it's kind of like how elves don't grow beards. That is true, yeah. But there are rare cases where elves can't have beards. Yep. Um, and typically, they don't have eyebrows, but female Twi'leks actually paint on eyebrows to make themselves look more attractive to aliens. Yeah. Yep. That's um, exactly what women do here yeah. in the real world. <laughs> Nothing new there. Um... Though it is important to note that some indiv... I already said that. Um, okay. Female Twi'lek are universally slender and attractive to nearly every race in the galaxy, which made them obviously very popular as slaves and servants. Very yep. commonly seen in the uh, entertainment uh, profession in the galaxy as singers or dancers. Yep. Um... Many young Twi'lek were sold into slavery to basically become status symbols, usually. Yeah. Yeah. That's some of them, a lot of them taken against their will. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vet explains in her backstory, her mom, her, and her sister had to work the mines of Ryloth for years until they were all separated. Yep. That's she usually was, how it goes. She was under, like, three different masters before you encounter her on Korriban. Yeah. They're like the, uh, the, uh... Organic versions of droid as, droids at that point. Yeah. They, like, get traded between masters. Yeah. That sucks. It really does suck. Um, given the harsh conditions on Ryloth, twi- and, you know, the lack of food, usually, the Twi'lek are evolved to be omnivores and have multiple stomachs, which allows them to eat almost anything. I imagine they wouldn't eat, like, rocks or dirt, but they could essentially eat almost anything. Yeah, just like the Trigruta. The Mm Trigruta have multiple stomachs as well. Yeah. And, uh... (laughs) They're 
food is so scarce on their world, they even go to eat Minox. Well, I wonder what Minox tastes like. <laughs> um, like, there's many popular uh, recipes of Minox. There's the uh, spicy Twi'lek dish called the Minox Cloud City and the Minox Coronet City. So apparently it's very, very spicy. Hmm. But... Just to give you a general idea of how scarce food is on their planet. They resort to eating basically the uh, the uh, rats of Star Wars. Ew. <laughs> the space rats. Um, but anyway, it is incredible. Hey, they could taste like chicken. You never know. You never know, yeah. Um, it would be incredibly rare for a Twi'lek to refuse food at all when they're traveling off-world. Because it's like their equivalent of refusing money. I know Ornfree Todd in Oh no. <laughs> and I'm actually about to uh get to why Ornfree Todd is in such a high position. Obesity is kind of associated with success and influence within their culture. Like, oh, this guy is really fat and he has so much thickness in his leku and everything. That must mean he is very influential, and he has access to all kinds of food. He must same, be the wisest of everybody. Thing. It was the same thing back in ancient times, like, you know, medieval days. And, yeah. You know, if you had if you had extra weight, you know that you were rich because you could feed yourself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, with, like, a lot of nobles, like King George. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, not King George. King Henry the There eighth. we go. He King had Henry. gout. Yeah, he was chunk. He was so fucking fat. <laughs> He's like so fat he couldn't even, they had to put him on a rope to get him on his horse. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a fat ass, but that's a status symbol back yeah. in the old days. Yep. Because you could eat that much food because you are wealthy and shit. Yep. You were wealthy enough to buy that much food and, and it was all rich food too. Yeah. Though their most recognizable part of their biology is their leku, a.k.a. their head tails. Um, in the Twi'lek language, they're called the chonchin, which is um, basically translates to a semi-basic of twin leku. And it's kind of derived of... Uh, I mean, the Twi'lek isn't exactly the name of their race. That's just a combination of... The translation of their leku, like twin leku, mm -hmm. Twi'lek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the leku serve as their sensory organs, specifically serving as a part of their brain, which extends into their leku. Yep, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Though it does serve a variety of purpose in their society and is also used to store fat and as a way of attracting mates. Hmm. Yeah. Um... Though the leku is highly sensitive, and if somebody grabbed the leku forcibly, it's it, hurt. yeah, it's going to hurt. Like it would essentially make the Twi'lek go unconscious. Ouch! Yep, it very very painful. Um, though there have been cases that if a leku is destroyed, it would cause brain damage. But in some cases, uh, there are like individual Twi'lek that actually have cybernetic leku. They can live without with about half of one. I've yeah. seen like with that um that Twi'lek that's in the what was the uh, the not the most recent update to Swator, but the one before that where Malgus returns. No, 
I I haven't played that far, honestly. Um, but you remember the cinematic, right? Yeah, yeah. The, Briefly. That Twi'lek Jedi had half a Lego. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, not complete brain damage. I. It's kind of uh, weird to understand how much of a Leku Twi'lek can live with, but there are, like... I mean, it's like a, kind of the same thing with the huts. Like, you remember there was like an individual hut that had half of his head blown off, but yeah. he could, and half of his brain is gone, but he's still acting normally and everything. Yeah. Kind of an interesting thing to think about, though. Anyway. Yeah, very true. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. The, obviously, the, like, the uh, Twi'la crate take great pride in their Leku, especially when they're confronted by other races, and they kind of see it, the, the the term headtail as sort of a slur. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. They take great pride in it. Like, oh my god, what is that thing on your head? Hey, don't you dare sass about my Leku boy. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, um as I mentioned before, the two chin is a reference for each leku. Chun is the left leku, and chin is the right leku. Okay. And the Twi'leks have a native have their native language, which is called Twi'leki or Rill. Um, and it is a spoke and it is spoken using a combination of words and a subtle movements of their leku as a sort of pseudo sign language. That's cool. Like for example, um, where was it? Uh. Okay, before I go into the Leku and all of its uh, meanings, examples of a Twi'leki language are Numa, meaning sister, Ayla, meaning mist or smoke, and Ula, meaning water. Okay. Yeah. Though an interesting example can be seen with non-Twi'lek names, such as the case with, uh, are you at all familiar with Wedge Antilles? Heard of him? Yeah, he's in. He's one of the uh, the X Wing fighters. Yeah, he's a uh, very important X Wing fighter character. Um, appears in a lot of novels after uh, Return of the Jedi and everything. Um, so Wedge Antilles is like uh, two words. They roughly translate into in between like languages. Re- roughly translate into one so foul as to induce vomiting and a rancor. <laughs> However. As we'll go into with uh, the, the Twi'lek naming conventions. If it's combined into one word as Wedge Antilles, it is roughly translated to Slayer of Stars. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, then we're going to go into Veleku language. Let's see. So if a tip of a right Leku is raised, it means hello. Okay. And if... Uh, the, the left Leku is dipping like this. It means goodbye. So they can actually move them. Yep, they can move them. It's, I think they're also prehensile. Meaning they could actually grab onto objects and everything. I've never seen a tweet like, do that in any Star Wars media. Probably because... I imagine it's like a, uh, a evolutionary thing. Like with... You know how like in monkeys they have a, uh, a uh, tail that could coil around objects and yeah. everything? And our ancestors used to do that, but mm-hmm. we have vestigial tails nowadays. Yeah. I imagine that's the same thing with a Twi'lek, but most of them just don't know how to control their Leku like that. Okay. But anyway, um, in the Leku, if both Leku cross like this, it means I love you. Oh. Yeah. Um, 
Though, due to this, there are many slave owners that take great care to give their Twi'lek, uh, servants headdresses to basically restrict their Leku from moving around and everything. And it's kind of gotten to the point where headdresses are a prominent part of Twi'lek society. You see almost every female Twi'lek wearing a headdress. Yeah, so that's probably the reason why, you know, they don't use them more often. Because, oh, headdresses, no worries. And it just adds a nice little accessory. Yeah, just kind of self-restrictive, though. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, kind of likened to a muzzle, basically. If you look at it that way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, let's see. Like other races with a huge diversity, the Twi'lek have their own subspecies. There's Verutin, which are basically the uh, common blue Twi'lek. Mm-hmm. They're called Verutin. And then there's the most rare one, which are called Velethians, which are the red Twi'leks. They're like the most rare subspecies of the Twi'leks. Hmm. Like, and and what about any other color? <laughs> yeah. Into that category? I think they're like moderately common. It's just that the blue ones are the most common. Like a majority of named Twi'leks are blue. Insert picture of Ayla Sakura. Ayla <laughs> Sakura. <laughs> yes, I'm going to put a sexy picture of Ayla Sakura somewhere around <laughs> in this episode. Anyway, um, and uh, it is said that one in a million Twi'leks had red skin, while many female Lithian Twi'la can be found on the world called Naunius Free, which is found in Wild Space. Okay. So anyway, um, nice little dive into their biology and everything. Um, let's go in a little bit about their culture. The Twi'la are well-renowned throughout the galaxy as being graceful and physically attractive, which kind of nailed in the head multiple times in this episode. Yep. Ah, big booba. <laughs> Anyway, um, nearly every sentient being in the galaxy find them extremely attractive. Even ones that are nowhere humanoid, like the Hutt are a prominent example. Yep. Like Job of Hutt is like, oh yes, Twi'leks. <laughs> and it's become so ingrained that basically slavery is the number one export on Ryloth. Well, no shit. Yep, it's been happening for literal centuries to the point where even the Republic tolerates it. And it, the, the Republic shouldn't, but yeah. they're making no moves to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a common proverb for the Twi'lek is, if you can't defeat the storm, then you must ride it. Yeah. Kind of like our version of, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure the Twi'lek have just allowed this thing to happen for centuries, because why the fuck should we go against it? Yeah. As fucked up as that might sound, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um... I mean, but aside from slavery, there are a hundred, but not even a hundred, but thousands and thousands of free Twi'leks. Yeah. And it's also best exemplified during the Clone Wars, where Ryloth's politicians were extremely royal, loyal to the Republic. But their more ambitious individuals kept negotiations open with the Separatists. You know, just a little backdoor, just in case. Um, due to their low standing within galactic society, most Twi'lek are commonly seen as merchants or even criminals. Um, Vova Twi- you could see Twi'leks in every step of society. Like, you have politicians, you have Governor Jedi, Suresh. yep, you have, uh, 
military officers, soldiers, Jedi Knights, Sith Lords, the whole shebang. Yeah. So they're they're in every walk of life. Yep. They're not just relegated to slaves. Yeah. And ironically enough, despite having a high uh, slavery culture to them, the Twi'leks do have a rich warrior culture. And they are probably the second most popular species to be amongst the ranks of the Mandalorians. Not surprising. Yeah, it is very surprising. Um, most male Twi'leks wore long, loose robes, while the Twi'leks typically wore lighter, more revealing clothing to maintain their elegance. The females, yes. Yep. Um, when welcoming a stranger or guest for the first time, the Twi'lek would usually exchange gifts or something else as a pleasantry, so to speak. Though... Well, they are very welcoming to a larger number of beings. They usually throw a party or use or, you know, show off traditional dancing and everything to entertain their guests. That's cool. And in the words of Chum Sindula, it is, direct quote, it is customary to share what we do have. That's cool. Yeah, because it's, even though they're slaves, um, they do have this... Deep family connection with each other. Like, they have clans and everything, and they value family. Insert uh, uh, Van Diesel, be there for family meme here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole driving point of one of, I think, one of the arcs of Rebels is the Calicori. I'm actually about to get to that, actually. Um, so, the Twi'leks, as you mentioned before, there's a very important heirloom, a totem called the Calicori, which is passed from parent to child for generations. According to tradition, each parent of a certain lineage adds additions to the family artwork to include themselves in a family legacy, so to speak. Pretty cool. Yeah, too. It's a good way to pass it, pass down, you know, you know, like, and point out, like, hey, your great, 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 great grandma did this. Yep. And my uncle did that. Pretty much, and to a mere outsider, it is basically worthless, but for a Twi'lek, it is beyond valuable. Uh, to Thrawn, it was pretty valuable. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, he he loves art and culture and everything. Well, he nearly slapped a, a, a Imperial because of it. Oh yeah, he's all like, I'm sorry, Governor. I tend to forget that not everybody shares my intrigue in art as much as I do. Yeah, there's that's the one rare time you actually see Thrawn angry. Yep, is when someone much. insults art. <laughs> All right, now we go into the uh, Twi'lek naming conventions. It's basically a singular name that combines both their personal and clan names instead of the two being two separate names, like a surname and last name. A first name and a last name. Thank last you. name and surname are the same. First name and surname. Thank you. Um. This change was meant to symbolize a way of unity between the individual and their clan. Though a Twi'lek's name could be split into multiple parts if they are, for example, exiled as criminals. Yeah. Because that you're no longer part of our clan, give a fuck out of here. Yep. But uh, apparently, um, as the years go on, this convention is kind of whittled down a little bit because there are prominent... Twi'lek individuals that have uh, both their clan and their personal name separate for some reason. Even high-ranking ones. Um, an example of a true Twi'lek name would be Nyon, 
Vova's name could be split into two parts when used outside of a local culture, becoming Nowhere Ven. Okay. In this case, the clan being named Ven. Um, let's see. Twi'lek society is divided by clans, each clan having its own city, and each city having its own government, which in turn is led by a five-member head clan. Um, so it's like multiple clans, and there's just this big honcho clan that rules over all the other clans. These five Twi'lek would leave the society in all manners until one member of the head clan dies, and at that point the remaining members of the head clan would be cast out into the barren brightlands to perish. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Very, very harsh. Um, this allowed... It's very harsh, yes, but this allowed to, like, think of it as a way of if the head honcho of his old clan that has been ruling for generations, um, and they... One of their members dies, but then, like, one of their relatives takes power. Nothing's really gonna happen. So it's kind of their way of Make out with the old and replace them with the new. Yeah, fair. Yeah, it's very if harsh. Arkard rented that. Yeah. <laughs> um, this this allowed the new generation to take over without any restrictions a previous one may have had over them. Though, if this new generation didn't feel ready to rule, then a set of regions would be selected to rule until the proper time comes. So, if you're all like, "Hey, hey, you, Jimmy, I want you to leave this." leave a clan now eh, i'm not feeling like it can i have my uncle rule for me instead sure thing hmm. anyway um so i'm legitimately surprised of how in-depth twila culture is yeah and their biology and everything where we didn't have much for the Tegruda or the Verpine in previous episodes. Yeah, because they're not expanded upon. No, no. Very little on their homeworlds, too, where Ryloth is just a barren fucking wasteland of a middle buttfuck nowhere. Yep. Um, so we got all of that out of the way, a nice little perspective on the Twi'lek and everything. Let's talk about their history a little bit. In their history, it is up to debate if the Twi'lek are a naturally evolved species, according to Ashana, a.k.a. the Mother Machine from Swiss Tour. Ash- huh? Uh, no, you, I, I thought you mispronounced it, but I'm <laughs> blanking on the name. Yeah, um, Asha. Asha, yeah. Asha. Yeah, the Vuricata Mother Machine who created a Zabrag, Twi'lek, and all the other humanoid races. Yep. Um, as a way to get more perspective on why the Ricotta are losing their connection to the Force. So, there's like one side where it's all like this AI created the synthetic race, which eventually became the Twi'lek. But there are accounts that the Twi'lek actually existed long before the Ricotta were a thing. How could that be if the, if the Ricotta supposedly created the Twi'lek? I think it's like the aspect, like, uh... There's the natural version of the Twi'lek, and then there's the synthetic version of the Twi'lek with more genetic diversity and everything like that, and then they just intermingled, which is kind of a neat way to explain why they come in so many fucking colors. I guess. Yeah. Um, though despite that... Uh, um, 
Despite that, at around 10,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, the Republic discovered the planet of Ryloth, and they found the Twi'lek to be this very primitive race. Like, to give you an idea, they're basically cavemen. Like, they haven't even invented rockets at this point in their time. Mm -hmm. They haven't even colonized their orbiting five moons on Ryloth. Mm -hmm. So you gotta imagine... Why would the Republic accept this primitive race into their galactic collective when they have no, essentially nothing to offer? More population, I guess? I don't know. There's like a... Slavery has already been a thing in Twi'la culture way before the Republic arrived. And there are some theories that this is just a, a greater extension on that. Like, we have talked multiple times on this episode, why the Twi'lek females are so attractive. Yes. Um, there's like the idea that the representatives of the Republic were all like, you may have nothing to offer, but your female are really, really attractive. If you give us some of those in return, then you could have all the political power you want, as long as we have a, uh, a uh, continuous supply of... Twi'lek females. Mm. So, yeah, even though the Republic is, uh, has outlawed slavery, technically these, uh, It Twi still falls under the radar. Yeah. They would be technically indentured servants. Technically. Technically. Um. I mean, at the time of the old Republic, slavery is still a thing. Yeah. The Senate just doesn't give a shit. Pretty much. Um. Like, if if you also, I know it's pretty fucked up to give up your children to become part of a galactic community. But if you look at it from the Twi'lek's perspective and how shitty their planet is, hey, on the bright side, at least my child will be better off under some rich alien on some high economically powerful world in the core instead of our shitty world where we have sandstorms and creatures that could kill us yep. and everything. So on the bright side, that's kind of their, it's still pretty fucked up, but that's kind of their reigning philosophy. Like at least my child will have a better life than on Ryloth. Yep. While the twilight, twilight. Okay. Um, there's like multiple ways you could pronounce Twi'leks. There's Twi'leks and there's Twi'leks. But, uh, from what I've heard that, both of them are correct, basically. Okay. Just to uh, clarify that. Also, for the viewers, yes, um, I know they speak French accents, but it's officially called Ryloff accent, so shut the fuck up. I mean, it's a French, it's a French accent. Yep. We're just going to call it a Rylothian accent. Pretty much, yeah. Um, let me see. But us in the real world, no. It's a French accent. It's, it's a, a French, French accent, accent yeah. Just like how all Imperials speak with, speak with a British accent. Yeah. And like this indentured servitude has been happening for multiple generations. And it's allowed the Twi'lek to spread across the entire galaxy and get more p political power within the Republic and everything. Like, there's like a... Okay, let me uh, continue on. The Twi'lek clans... Blah, 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 blah. I am stumbling over my notes. So. <laughs> He's going all over the place right now. Slavery, 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 basically. Um, though as the years passed, it was eventually discovered that Ryloff had another export of interest just hiding beneath its surface. 
You want to know what that is? Gems? Well, okay, I could see why that would be a thing. But it is this very important thing called real spice. Ah, drugs! Drugs! <laughs> Gems are valuable, but drugs! Drugs! Yeah, uh, money. <laughs> By itself, real spice was relatively weak compared to any other spice in the galaxy. Though it could be used to create a number of medicines, it, when it is combined with glitter stem, which is basically the main spice in the galaxy. Crack. <laughs> basically. Um, it would be used to create glitter rill. Which became something much more potent. If I remember off the top of my head, it makes you lose memories, basically. Oh, shit, so that's like angel dust. Pretty much, yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> Though, with his new resource discovered, uh, the, the ruling Twila clan leaders found the wharf that this real spice provided to them. And they were like, we're going to try and make this a new export and, you know, lower down on the slave trade and everything and replace it. Albeit one illegal commodity with another illegal commodity, mm -hmm. but still a big improvement over slavery. Um, unfortunately, the Twi'lek had very little success in actually selling the spice because they are very inexperienced and economics and everything of the galaxy though this attracted opportunity for another long-lived race in the galaxy the huts pretty much yeah if the huts were like that's free real estate we're gonna take that spice over there <laughs> and that's pretty much when the huts decided to up the ante with a slave trade on the twi'leks because Ooh, we got more slaves to help us mine out all of that spice on Ryloth. And even though um, the Twi'leks kind of spread more across the galaxy, it was with the help of the Huts that they spread even more across the galaxy with a slave trade and everything. Yep. Um, instead of being indentured servitude, it's actually actual slavery. Um, and due to the Twi'leks being more and more widespread across the galaxy... They became less connected to their original home world, where you have like actual Twi'lek colonies creating their own subcultures and everything, like you see with the uh, the uh, Twi'lek colonists on Typhon. Mm -hmm. Like, this is our new home. Fuck Ryloth. What is that? Yep. Pretty much. Um, but despite that. After several millennia in 3,643 years before the Battle of Yavin, which is the general time frame of Swator and everything, um, the Twi'la clans actually wrestled control of Ryloth out of the grasp of the Huts. Nice. However, um, given how valuable the real spice mines were on Ryloth, they would continue to be raided by pirates and mercenaries. Not surprising. Yep. And... Obviously, the Republic were all like, why the fuck should we help you? Fuck off. Mm -hmm. And the Twi'lek, the ruling Twi'leks, um, this is basically what happened. It's like, yes, we finally got the huts off of our planet. Now we can finally get back to, wait, what do you mean we're still slaves? Didn't we just kick the huts off? Oh, you mean uh, the ruling Twi'leks are now our new slave masters? Well, fuck. <laughs> So yeah, they just, it's basically that meme of 
under new management. It's yeah. just one of their their ruling Atwila clans are the new managers now. That sucks. Because like uh even though uh they have enough political influence with within the republic, it's pretty much solidified to a point where it's normal. Like if you're going to change something, you're going to need like big, big changes, but the Twi'leks can't do that at this current point mm-hmm. in time. So as the saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, da. And it went pretty well. The, the Twi'lek clans kept on getting more wealth and influence, despite, you know, selling off all their young girls into slavery. You know, like, eh, whatever. They're getting a new life away from Ryloth anyway. Who the fuck cares? Pretty fucked up to think about it. Yep. Yeah. Um... Over the next millennia, Ryloth would be conquered by different factions across the galaxy, including the Brotherhood of Darkness, which is a uh, Sith faction that Darth Bane was a part of before he extincted them, Mm -hmm. Um, the Confederacy of Independent Systems, and the Galactic Empire itself. Of course. Yep. Um, Because Palpatine had to have a lot of power. Yeah. And especially with the Confederacy, when, uh, when they invaded, they decided to plunder Ryloth of all of its treasures and everything. Like, uh... Because that's I, what the Separatists do. Well, the... the Business tycoons, anyway. Yes. <laughs> because, well, Tembor was just plundering all that sweet treasure. Yeah. Um... But... Even though the Twi'lek people don't believe... And, uh, you know, breaking free of their chains. There's a good majority of Twi'lek freedom fighters that are like, this This shit is fucked up. Prime example, Cham Syndulla. Yep, that's where Cham Syndulla comes in with the, uh, the Twi'lek resistance, which is basically your classic rebellion against first the uh, Confederacy of Independent Systems and not too long after the Galactic Empire. The Empire. Where he renamed his resistance force to the Free Ryloth Movement. Welcome to the resistance. Welcome to the resistance. The revolution. Yep. <laughs> um, and even though they have a good stiff resistance going on, they would remain under the thumb of the empire as a protectorate, basically. Yeah. But but when Free Talk kept his position, they were under the the, the 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 thumb of a moth. Yep. Who basically runs everything. Orn Free Ta is just a He's nice a little puppet. Red. He's a puppet. <laughs> Anyway, um, Volva, the Twi'lek would get a nice little break after the Battle of Endor and the Empire started to fragment into separate uh, factions across the galaxy. Okay. And like, the Twi'lek finally got some reprieve. They're like, yes, we're, we're finally free. Thank you, Rebel Alliance. Yes, we're going to join you for a little bit. And then the New Republic was formed and Ryloth was basically all like, okay, cool beans. However, we don't like being slaves anymore. We don't like being in your dabbling little politics no more. Orn free talk and fuck off. Um, <laughs> Orn free talk, get fucked. <laughs> and Ryloth decided to become its own sovereign nation because... Nice. You know, they don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past and everything. I don't blame them. Yep, you don't blame them at all. Um, this is the scenario I'm thinking of. The, the 
The Twi'leks are basically that one friend, you know, they're pretty awesome, they're pretty cool, but they always find themselves in this toxic relationship that, you, that they just can't get out of. Yeah. Like, it's very apparent to everybody else, like, hey, maybe you should break up with them, you're clearly not doing very well, but no matter what they're saying, you just stay in it. Yeah. No matter what. And then finally, they're like, finally, I I got out of this toxic relationship, Fuck the huts, fuck the empire, fuck all those people that enslaved me. I am finally free. Insert hmm. Mel Gibson's brave heart. Freedom! <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> and they're all like, what should I do now? Maybe I should take up some knitting. And then they hear a knock on the door. They open it up and they see one of their old friends, uh, Princess Leia. And they're all like, hey, um, we're good friends. Um, we're kind of on the run from the First Order. Could we uh, chill out in your house until everything blows over? Then they slightly look behind them and they see an entire army of First, of first Order Stormtroopers. <laughs> and they're like, nope. <laughs> nope. Slam the door. Yeah. Just to give you context. Um. So this was this is like uh, the canon timeline that I'm uh, explaining. Um, basically, the resistance is on the run from the first order after uh, after uh, the last Jedi and everything. Yep. Um, they briefly sheltered Leia and the resistance, but the Twi'lek government did not like that at all. Ryloth said, "Fuck off." Yeah, they were all like, "Fuck off." We don't want to get blown up by the First Order. We don't want to be blown up by Starkiller Base like the New Republic did. Fuck off. Which is pretty understandable, considering everything that they went through. Exactly. They finally have the state supreme. It's like, fuck off. Yep. And we're like, I mean, yeah, maybe it would have been the right thing to do to stand by Princess Leia's side. But considering the shit that they've gone through. Exactly. Give them a fucking break. Fuck off. (laughs) So yeah, at least in the uh, current canon of Star Wars, they're getting a little bit of reprieve. That's all right. That's good. Yeah, that is very, very good. Um, I'm not too sure what they're doing in Legends right now. They're just kind of doing their own thing, selling, obviously selling more slave girls and everything. Yeah. But I think in the new canon, it's actually kind of re- uh, refreshing that they're moving on from their enslavement past and everything. So now that we got their history out of the way, let's talk about some notable Twi'lek in Star Wars history. Get ready for a list. Oh yeah, and we'll go over some of the more notable ones. Um, obviously the more famous ones are Aayla Secura, who is a very famous Twi'lek Jedi Knight. Yep. She actually, uh, funny enough, she actually got introduced in some Dark Horse comics, and then George Lucas saw her and he was all like, I'm going to make her canon in my movies. And she's an awesome Jedi. She is an awesome Jedi. I mean, Quinlan Boss's apprentice? You don't get a reputation from being Quinlan Boss's apprentice. Oh, no. Um, and she kind of has a reputation of being a fan service character. Of course. Obviously. Of course. Com- part of the cores with any Twi'la character. Yep. <laughs> like, there's a, uh, a uh, I want to, kind of a uh, on and off relationship with Kit Fisto and everything. You know, that famous image where they kiss underwater. They are, no, he was quote-unquote giving air to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, quote-unquote. It's like there are two people that ship Ayla, there are two people that people ship Ayla with. Uh-huh. Kit Fisto is one, Bly is the other. Yep, yep, I remember that, I remember that. 
Um, I honestly think she's more compatible with Kit Fisto. Pretty much. Um, I've seen enough hentai to know where this is going. Oh my god, not like that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Um, Ayla uh, Sakura it deserves her own episode later, but we'll just go through the Cliff Notes version of it all, she was a damn good Jedi, died in a very shitty way. Yeah, by uh, being shot several times by our clone troopers. It's sad. It is sad. Um, and then there's Ula, the slave girl who belonged to Jabba that he feeds to the Rancor in Return of a Jedi. Yep. I believe she is the introduction to the Twi'lek race. Based on my on what I've seen briefly in my research, I could be wrong. Con- uh, correct me in the comments down below. But. but as far as we know, especially with me being a Star Wars somewhat newbie, yep. Uh, as far as we know, in media wise, Ula is the first Twi'lek. Yep, pretty much. Um, then there's Vet, the Twi'lek that we mentioned numerous times. Our before. lovable, sassy little sister. Yep, little sister who is a first companion character of a Civ Warrior in Swator. I love her. And uh, she's voiced by uh, Catherine Tabar, who voices uh, Padme in The Clone Wars. Awesome. And then there's another companion character in a Coter, uh, Knights of the Old Republic with Revan and everything. Mission Vale, who is a uh, street urchin on Terrace, who becomes a companion character. And she's also voiced by Catherine Tabor. Oh, looks like I got to watch the Kotor playthrough now. Yep. And then, more infamously, we have Darth Talon of yep. uh, Darth Kratos' Civ Empire. And it's pretty obvious why she's such a popular character. Yes. <laughs> Twi'lek Sith. Oh, she's the hottest. <laughs> and she's red. <laughs> yes, she is used for a lot. A lot. A lot of uh, fan service. A lot of NSFW. If you... I mean, it's for Twi'leks in general, but if you Google Darth Talon, you're probably going to come across a uh, NSFW art piece of her somewhere. Or something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to go into that. Um, <laughs> we're trying I'm, to keep this a bit kid-friendly. A little just bit, a bit. Just a little bit. I mean, we have our Patreon art pieces, so that doesn't give us much to work with. Um <laughs> Then we have uh, Chem Sendula, who is the leader of Ryloff Resistance and is voice acted by the same guy who voice acts, acted the medic in TF2. Rowan Atkin Downs. Yep. Very great voice actor. And his daughter, Hera Sendula, who is the pilot of the Ghost and one of the founders of the Rebel Alliance. Oh, I didn't know she was a founder. That's pretty cool. Yeah, she's one of... I wouldn't say she's a quote-unquote founder, but she's an influential member of uh, Rebel Alliance. Yep, Hera is a pretty badass woman. She is. She is a hard lady. Oh, but she is the mom of the group. She is the mom and a very good love interest to uh, Kanan Jarrus. Yeah. I ship them they so had a, much. They had a very good relationship before he passed. Yeah. And then we go into some other notable ones. most Mostly Ornfree Ta that we made fun of several times in this episode. Um, no, no, I don't think there's anyone who likes Orn Freetal. If I am wrong, say so in the comments, please. He's he's like the uh, new gun ray of the, the Twi'leks. Twi'leks. <laughs> he's the Republic new gun ray. He's the Republic new gun ray, yeah. He is cowardly and greedy as all hell. Well, considering the fact that he's a fat ass, yeah. Yep, yep. And uh, 
he is very loyal to Palpatine. Like, even in the Imperial era, he is still just very loyal to Palpatine. Nibbling spineless coward. (laughs) And he's... uh, Though, even though he is loyal to Palpatine and the Empire, he always puts his own interests before the well-being of his own people or even the Empire's. No shit! Like, uh, in that novel that I mentioned earlier, um, Vader likened... Uh, so, the ship that they were on gets destroyed mm-hmm. and they were forced to evacuate. Yep. Um, Darth Vader likens Ornfree Ta to a rat escaping a sinking ship. Yeah. He is that much of a fucking coward. A loyal rat, granted. He's still a coward. <laughs> when, when the uh, in the Clone Wars, when Satine is attacked by the assassin droid, <gasps> he runs like a bitch. He runs like a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And then um, he's a Rodian, if that wasn't obvious. Um, the blue Twi'lek yep. subspecies. Um, let's see. The, aside from Ornfree Ta, we also have. Uh, Oh, here we go. Alina Deru, who was a Twi'lek slave girl of the Empire and later lover of Darth Malgus. Yeah. Sucks that he had to kill her, though. Yep. But, like... Like, They were a good couple. They were a good couple. Like, they legitimately love each other. Like, Malgus sees... Basically sees her as his moral consciousness most of the time. That's pretty cool. And she in turn would actually say his real name. And she legitimately is the only person that smiles at Darth Malgus's presence. Yeah, you gotta love someone enough to do that. Especially in the case of Malgus. Yep. Who doesn't have much of a face to begin with, but semantics. <laughs> <laughs> Then, of course, we have Numa, who is the young Twi'la girl found by uh, Waxer and Boyle. Everybody loves Numa. Yep. I've seen so many people requesting in, like, in AUs, like AU fix, that Waxer and Boyle adopt Numa, or the, yep. the, the company adopts Numa. And yeah. And just, it's sweet. Yeah, she, like, keeps calling them Nera, which is, like, the Twi'la version of brother. Yep. Yep. She calls them brother. That's so sweet. <laughs> and then several uh, years down the line, she becomes one of Cham Syndulla's most skilled warriors in the Ryloth Freedom Movement. Adorable little thing turns into a fucking badass. Yep. Wish we could get more, explore her character more because she's barely touched upon, but semantics. Yeah. Um, Let's see. And then uh, of a rare Lithian variety, there's Darth... Atruxa of a Sith Empire? Yes, she was featured in one of the Knights of the Eternal Throne uh, cinematics, mm-hmm. fighting against Arkan and Thexen when they were invading the don't the, the, when they were invading the galaxy. Yep, and she immediately gets killed. But you know she was badass and trying to defend Corp. <laughs> <laughs> she did her damnedest trying to defend it. No, no, like literally when I was looking across. Uh, of uh, Twi'la characters, and I came across her article. It was just like a paragraph. That sucks. <laughs> she looks cool, though. She does look cool. She's not as fan servicey as Darth Town, granted, but she's pretty cool. Yeah, she looks awesome, and she is pretty awesome. Yeah. And then uh, we get uh, Bink Utria, who is a prominent instructor of a Jedi Order and Jedi General during the Clone Wars. Hmm. Um, she's a Rufian, the Red Twi'lek, and she was actually one of the... Uh, the last Jedi that stood between Grievous and Palpatine. 
Oh, shit. And she put up a much better fight than most of her compatriots. Nice. Being able to score two strikes against Grievous, I believe. And I agree- mean, better than the zero that everybody else got. <laughs> yeah. Except Obi-Wan. That's good. Yeah, it is pretty good. And Grievous was so moved by uh, her skill, he actually took great care to make her death as painless as painlessly as possible. He just brought his lightsaber and stabbed her once for the heart. Yeah, that's very merciful for Grievous. Yeah, and especially because you know it's Grievous. I mean, he he still took her lightsaber, but he took special care not to ravage her corpse afterwards. Which, considering what he does to other Jedi that he's killed, pretty merciful. Yeah, he's, like we said in his episode, he's still an honorable warrior at heart. Yep. And then, at like, times. Yeah, yeah, at times. Uh, and then there's another prominent one. Um, her name is Larav Tarek. She's a green-skinned Jedi Knight and member of Great Paladins, which, if you don't recall from our uh, Force Users episode, they're basically a branch of Jedi Knights that specialize in using blasters. Oh. Yeah, she's like the poster child of the Great Paladins. Okay. And she's one of the few survivors of Order 66. Surprising. Mm Mm-hmm. And she helped found a group called Whiplash, which basically helped uh, Jedi survivors and their associates get off of Coruscant before the Empire got them. That's cool. Yeah, she became a, uh, she's a childhood friend of his prominent Jedi character, but, and eventually his lover, but she got killed not too long after. Of course, everyone dies. Yep, everybody dies. It's Star Wars, Um, (laughs) everybody dies. And then, of course, moving on, we have Bib Fortuna, the major domo of Jabba the Hutt. Yep, fucker is so white, he hardly goes out in the fucking sun. He is a f- fucking albino Twi'lek. He does look <laughs> albino. Oh, man. And um, he's kind of an interesting character because even though he became the major domo of Jabba the Hutt, he actually tried to assassinate him multiple times. Really? Yeah. He, like, pretends to be loyal to Jabba. One of Jabba's most trusted men. He tries to kill him several fucking times. Yeah, he failed in his assassination attempts against Jabba. And he kind of has this philosophy of... He hates that the Twi'lek are basically a slave race to people like Jabba and everything. And he kind of has this... he works for a hunt. Yep. He kind of has this idea that once he gets into a prominent political position... Amongst the Twi'leks, he foresees a future where the Twi'lek became become this dominant race in the galaxy, an entire race of spies and assassins. I could definitely see the women working on that. Oh yeah, totally. Considering how ubiquitous uh, Twi'lek slave girls across the galaxy, might as well <laughs> use them as undercover spies and assassins. Imperial intelligence missed out on that for ages. Oh yeah, totally, totally. They would have been good spies. Yeah. Kind of surprising that didn't happen earlier, but, you know, whatever. But that's why we have character customization, so we mm-hmm. can make Twi'leks. Oh, yeah. And then, let's see, there's a, there's a Sulukwe, who is the, the pink Twi'lek that uh, gets together with Kudlukwe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she's, I believe, a refugee of Ryloth who went to this planet called Sulukumai to become a farmer. And she had a previous marriage with another human, which is why she has her hybrid um, Twi'lek human uh, children and everything. 
Cudlu Quay is just a uh, stepfather. Step yeah. And He's a damn good dad. And looking over some concept art of Lulu Quay, she looks fucking hot. You're going to have to send it to <laughs> Yeah, she is fucking hot. Is it but just anyway. me or do the twi-like human hybrids, aside from Kanan and Harris' son, he looks okay. Yeah. He still looks relatively human. These two, the two hybrid kids, are fucking <laughs> creepy. Yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. The little, the little boy is. <laughs> uh, and actually, um, kind of a minor spoiler, but Kalukwe and his entire family actually appear in the in season one of The Bad Batch. Oh. Where they actually uh, have to get off of Sulukumai before, you know, they get deported and everything. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, let me actually uh, see if I can find that concept image I mentioned before. Look, she is fucking gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's gorgeous. <laughs> she is fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, there's uh, Rihanna Saren, who is a uh, escaped slave girl who became a criminal and then heroine of... Heroine. Uh, female hero of a rebel alliance... And she's a close associate of Kyle Katarn, if you don't know that name. I've seen him on Galaxy of Heroes. I just don't know his backstory. Okay, he's a very prominent uh, original Star Wars character. Um, he's that meme of uh, basically shaving his beard with a lightsaber and everything. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, so she's one of the few Twi'lek that actually has that uh, cybernetic Leku on one side. Okay. Yeah. And let's see, uh, and then there's, uh, Ascara, a female Twi'lek bounty hunter who, ironically enough, was forced to become one after her little sister was captured to become a slave, and she had to do favors for a, uh, criminal gang. Oh, no. Yeah, she was forced to become a bounty hunter to make sure her little sister didn't get, you know, enslaved and everything. Yeah. Um, and then there's... Leonte Sherish, who is a senator, governor, and eventually supreme chancellor of a republic during Swator. She's a bitch. She is a bitch. So you have encountered her. Cool. I've encountered her in Knights of the Eternal Throne. Yep. Which he Where tries she... to literally take over command yep. of the of the alliance. It's like, bitch! <laughs> yeah, she was originally a slave of a Sith Empire, and when she became a uh, supreme chancellor, she basically restarted the war between the Republic and the Sith Empire. There is, uh, I think in the Republic arc, yeah, the Republic side of um, Swator, there is a story on Terrace where she is uh, making the initiative to repair Terrace. Mm -hmm. You know, she's heading that initiative. Yep. I haven't finished that yet, but all I know is of Suresh from Knights of the Eternal Throne, and she's a bitch! She is a bitch. I mean, like, considering that she was a slave of the Sith Empire and she recently got liberated from them, her mindset is kind of understandable, but then again, she's also a power-hungry asshole. Yeah. So, yeah, um, those are the prominent Twi'leks that I thought were pretty interesting. As you'll notice, a majority of them are female because that's the most popular side of the Twi'leks. And that's what's more shown in media. Yep. And uh, those are the ones that I came across and that had any interest for me. 
And that is all I have for the Twi'lek as a race. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. The Twi'leks are really cool. They are really cool. They're one of the more expanded upon races, so that really helped flesh out the episode. Mm -hmm. And a lot of notable, notable characters. If you look (laughs) them up on like Wikipedia or something... Dozens and dozens and dozens of pages of just Twi'leks. Yeah, dozens and dozens. Like, there's like a separate category for the Rudian Twi'lek and the Lufian Twi'lek and just, just Twi'leks a, in general. A lot of them are just background characters. Yeah, pretty That's much. That's how prominent they are in this galaxy. Yeah, every single... I guarantee you, like, maybe like, with the exception of a couple of episodes, every single episode of A Clone Wars, you have a singular Twi'lek in the background. If that. Yeah, like there's this, uh, there, I remember there's this certain jet Twi'lek Jedi Master that just appeared in the background for a couple of episodes, and then, uh, in one episode, and like, literally the intro, she just gets killed by Maul. Oh, God. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, um. They're cannon fodder. <laughs> <laughs> cannon fodder and eye candy. Yep. Pretty much. I think I... As much as I like to joke that they are fan service characters, and yes, a good majority of them are, I do like the certain elegance that they portray in a lot of the female Twi'leks. Yeah. The- and of course we have the, uh, a couple of notable um, male Twi'lek characters. I mean, just- Ornfree Ta, not so much, but you know. But Chamsundua is like, he paints the picture of the basic male Twi'lek. Yeah, the basic male Twi'lek and the the other side of the Twi'leks that see slavery as bad and everything. Yeah, yeah the Twi'lek are very interesting, and I wouldn't mind like a like a a couple of um, solo movies surrounding Harrison Dula and all of those, and the usual plights that the Twi'lek have to go through on an everyday basis. I mean, at least a series like what they're doing for Ahsoka or something. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, and that is our episode of Can Mayonnaise Kill a Jedi? Or in this case, how how many times could I not mention fan service? Or how many times can you count that we said Twi'lek? <laughs> yeah, take a shot for every time I say Twi'lek. Just include a Twi'lek counter in one of the corners <laughs> of the screen. It'll probably be like something like over 5,000 or something. It's over 9,000! <laughs> But anyway, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's kind of a longer episode for a species uh, episode than usual, but that's the way I like it, ironically enough. Yeah, I like that this was pretty fleshed out. Yeah, I just wish the Tegruda and Verpine were as visit much in depth. I know, right? <laughs> but anyway, um... I mean, not even the Chiss were this in depth, right? No. I mean, okay, we need a dedicated episode for the Chiss in all fairness. You right um, yeah, um, but yeah, I'm. This was a really fun episode. Uh, do you want to take a gander at what our next episode is going to be about, Hannah? I have no clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is basically my turn. The previous turns have been Hannah, the Twi'lek, the Exarcoon, and everything. Now it is my turn to take the spotlight. And for our next episode, we'll be ex- we'll. Kind of be doing a little trilogy as a build-up for one of my most favorite faction in all of Star Wars. Oh. We will be starting with 
the Trade Federation. Oh, hell yeah. That's going <laughs> to yep. be fun. Yeah, and it'll be a slow build-up to eventually the Confederacy of Independent Systems. That's going to take a while. It will take a little bit of a while, but yes. Um, yeah, the, the it's going to be interesting to talk about the Trade Federation and the multiple layers. Like, it's not just some evil corporation and everything. Yeah. Well, anyway, you have any closing statements for our audience or just me in general, Hannah? I hope that you and our audience both have a happy holiday. Yeah. May the force be with you. And make sure to uh, treat your local Twi'lek very well this year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, bye-bye. Bye.